When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I told my parents I'm going to get a PhD in this thing. They're very proud. They're very like excited about this thing. It's like you can go to work and be like, my son's doing graduate school and he's going to get a PhD. And now I'm like, okay, I have two options. I can tell them the truth that I don't want to do this anymore. Or I can Mm -hmm. fake my graduation (laughs) and they don't have to know about a thing. Welcome to the True Fiction Project a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. And I have with me on today's show, Chinook Tissera. Chinook is an actor, writer, and a stand-up comedian. He portrays Jalen in the theatrical production of The Art of Killing It. He's been featured on HBO Max's Human by Orientation, and he is also the voice of Yaksha Ra on the 20-Sided Podcast. So, indeed, a person of many talents. Hi, Chinook. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being a guest on today's True Fiction Project podcast episode. I am very intrigued by all of this wonderful stuff that you have done. Would you say that you are primarily an actor, a writer, or a comedian, or some kind of combination of all three? (laughs) I think I got my start in stand-up and have been doing that probably the longest. And then I think over the past like year or two, I've started to really get into more of the acting and writing spheres of it. Obviously, I've been writing my own stand-up jokes for my career, but now I'm like, oh, I should like write sketches and like a pilot and like plays and then acting kind of just accidentally like fell into it, which has been a lot of fun. A really good time. Yeah, when you talk about getting your start in stand-up, I mean, to me, that sounds like something of a dream come true. Like, when does that happen? Who does that happen to? Why <laughs> does the divine not play to our favor? Tell us about how you got your start. Rumor has it, you actually dropped out of grad school to get started. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think... Prior to me pursuing a career in the arts in stand-up, I was a young man doing the, you know, my parents are immigrants. They were very big on like, become a doctor, become a lawyer, an engineer. Mm. That's success in life. Where did they emigrate from? Oh, they are Sri Lankan immigrants. Uh, Came here in 93. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I know the doctor, lawyer kind. Yep. Good, Mm -hmm. good, solid South Asian immigrants. Go ahead. He was saying. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Came here in 93. 
came to Staten Island, New York, a classic Sri Lankan hub back then. And like, you know, classic immigrants, like no fault to them, but like what they envisioned success to be was a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, like it just offered stability is what they wanted at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and fair to them. I understand that. The problem was I was not very good at science. Math, I was kind of okay at, but not good enough to like actually do it as a career. So in college, I did my best to like get as close to a doctor, lawyer, and engineer was. I think like for a lot of South Asian kids, it's like, oh, economics and business. Like that is, if you can't do those things, you become an econ major. So I ended up doing economics. I was okay at it. Like I wasn't the best, but it was easy enough where I could get by, get good grades, keep them happy. But still, career-wise, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I fully remember in college, I went to a career fair at Chase Bank mm-hmm. and like met these other kids. And like, if you work for Chase Bank, I don't, I judge you. But like, I mean, <laughs> these kids were like telling me like, oh, I've always wanted to be an investment banker. And I was like, that's an insane thing to say for an 18-year-old. Like, that was your dream? And like, no, sh- I mean, shade to investment bankers, but that can't be what life is. And I remember I left. I was there for like an hour. I talked to like five people who were like were my age. And I was like, this isn't for me. I, I don't want to do this. And I remember like getting some free breakfast and then immediately walking out of that being like, OK, I don't think economics like a career working for a bank is for me. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to like other professors like, what can I do with an economics degree? And I remember this one professor, Dr. Peters, was like, hey, you should get a Ph.D. And I was like, what's that? And he explained, you're a doctor of, it's like what I do. I'm a doctor of economics and business, whatever. And I was like, oh, I can like get this doctor title and not have to do medicine. I'll listen. Because I think at the time, I want my parents to be proud of me. And the only way they'll be proud of me is if I, you know, become a doctor. So this felt like a cheat code to the system. So I went out and started seeing what a PhD in economics would look like. And thought, okay, this seems like something I maybe want to do. Like I can become a professor and I enjoy talking. Obviously I, I like classic stand-up comedian actor. I think my voice is important and people should listen to me. And when you're a professor, those silly, silly kids have to listen to you because you're the professor. So I was like, all right, this might be something I would be interested in doing. So finished my degree in economics was in the process of my senior year applying to graduate programs and realized, oh my God, this is actually really hard. An econ PhD is so much math. It is not like the easy like econ 101 classes I was acing as a college kid. It's like legitimate. You're doing calculus and derivatives, linear algebra. These are all important things that econ professors do. And I was bad at it, at that part of it. And then so... (laughs) made the conversion of going looking at geography PhD programs because I was like a geography minor. I thought it was interesting. And like geography in America has like had a renaissance over the past Hmm. 20-ish years. There's like this interesting story of why geography used to be taught in America. And then there was like this kind of scandal at Harvard where the geography like department head and the history department head had like a fight And because the history department head like ran the social science department, he just cut geography completely out of Harvard's curriculum. And then after every other college saw that, they all then cut their own geography programs, resulting in America taking geography and throwing it away, which is like why Americans don't know geography. (laughs) 
Too true, too true. <laughs> My goodness, you are touching on a whole lot of very funny and very relevant chords. I just have to say, my husband was a longtime investment banker. He worked for Chase, so let's judge him. I'm all for that. <laughs> and the first person who is out there to judge him was his son, who exactly at that young age said, there's got to be more to life than being an investment banker, which is like the total opposite of anything that any person from South Asia would say. And I was like, wow. This is a different kind of kid. <laughs> That's amazing. I... Yeah. <laughs> so he's going he's gonna to love hearing this. And I probably have to just like send him to you <laughs> to, uh, to prove that there are other real people on the planet. The other thing that I must say is when you talk about comedy and economics in Killarney in Ireland, there is this great festival called Kilkonomics, which is about comedy and economics. I don't know if you know this. Oh I don't God. even know if it yeah, still exists, but it did right before the pandemic and comedy and economics. Got to check it out. But uh, um, <laughs> back to your story. So you are in graduate school and what happens next? Right. So I decided to pivot and go the geography route. I talked to some geography professors and they're very sweet, very kind. And geography is very like malleable. You can really come from any walk of the academia spectrum and pursue a, a PhD or master's in, in geography. So I ended up applying to master's programs in geography just to like make sure I wanted to do this and ended up getting into a program in New York. And I got a full, like I applied to like a fellowship and I got it through like a professor at the institution, got a full ride and then went to pursue my degree there. And mm -hmm. at first, it felt fine, like overall. I was taking classes, I was meeting other students. It felt interesting and cool. I was like, okay, maybe this is what little Schnook's gonna do for the rest of his life. And then over time, my fellowship, basically I had to do a research project that related to transportation. It was like through this kind of like scholarship program, through this like transportation, it's called the, I think the UTRC, and they paid for my grad school experience. But the caveat was I had to do a project about transportation, which is like, OK, there are like interesting ways to think about transportation in America. I can make this work. Me and another student who was like a year above me had this fellowship. So I would talk to him a bunch and get advice from him. And he was really great. But my advisor, he also had the same advisor, was not my favorite person in the world. I think if you've never really been in academia at the graduate level, it isn't as kind to the students as like undergrad is. Professors are a lot like some of them are really great and kind, and I definitely had a lot of good experiences, but a lot of them are also very cutthroat. And it's like a frat. I was abused. So now all you guys have to be abused, too. It's very it can be a very awful environment for students. And my advisor was of the not great variety of, of advisors. I remember she would like call me and berate me for being late on some things or like was just not very supportive. And at the end of it would kind of like force me and another the other student to do the work she wanted to do rather than do the work that I wanted to do. So it ended up with us having a falling out. And I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm think I'm done. Like I and at the time I was like in a place of like, I didn't really pay for this. It wasn't the biggest deal if I'm done. But the problem was my parents were super proud of me doing this. And now I have my first big life problem. 
I told my parents I'm getting a PhD in this thing. They're very proud. They're very like excited about this thing. It's like you can go to work and be like, my son's doing graduate school and he's going to get a PhD. And now I'm like, okay, I have two options. I can tell them the truth that I don't want to do this anymore. Or I can Mm -hmm. fake my graduation and they don't have to know about a thing. Uh, Because they're not going to attend as parents. Well, well, they are. (laughs) Okay, this gets more interesting. (laughs) So here's the thing about a lot of colleges in America, or at least the ones that I went to. Mm -hmm. You can apply for graduation before actually having your credits to graduate Uh as long as you like are a senior as long as it's like oh clear that you can actually finish then you can apply to graduate and you don't actually find out if you graduated until a month or two later Uh so you attend the ceremony you walk they give you a little fake diploma but then like two months later like oh by the way you don't have the right credits or whatever so my gosh I can Knowing just see this, those I was proud parents now. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, carry yeah, yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you see where I'm going with this. I remember thinking I hit rock bottom. Like at that point, very like sad. I was like, what do I do with my life? What can I possibly do after this? Like I thought I wanted this thing. I worked four years of college, two years of graduate school, putting my life into this, and now I'm like, I don't want this. So I was like, what if I just go to an open mic and try that? And so mm-hmm. I went. I think. The day after, like my last call with my advisor, where she like just yelled at me, I hung up on her. I was like, I think the next day I signed up for an open mic in the basement of a bar in New York City. <laughs> and I told like my cousin and my partner and they like came out. I did my set and it was bad. Like <laughs> I don't do that set at all anymore, <laughs> but I got laughs and it felt really good to be on stage in a place that I got to create my own stuff and tell my own story. I remember like the day I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I figured luckily hitting rock bottom, like finally forced me to do this thing that I for a long time had been talking about wanting to try. Finally did it. Felt amazing. Yes, I should have been doing this for the past six years. And then now I have to like break it to my parents. Hey, I'm not going to be a doctor of geography which who needs that even, but I'm not going to be a doctor of geography. I want to be a stand-up comedian. And that was incredibly scary for me. I was like, I can't tell them that. That's They didn't come here from Sri Lanka for their kid to go tell jokes on stage in a <laughs> field that is like incredibly unstable. That is the, like, I think if someone told my parents in 93, hey, if you come to America, your kid's going to become a stand-up comedian, they'd be like, we're just going to stay. That's fine. We're totally cool with that. (laughs) I am sure that that line of thinking has changed after they have seen the inordinate (laughs) amounts of success that their son has been through. I mean, you've got a great show called The Art of Killing It, which is a BIPOC immersive murder mystery comedy. Tell us about that. Yeah. The Art of Killing It is a immersive murder mystery play. It is based off of Clue. Like uh, the movie, mm-hmm. like the, the board game, yes. essentially. The conceit, the creator of the show, Jordan Waters, he wanted to create a show that isn't just about using the grief of people of color to like tell a story. It's an all BIPOC cast. We have one white cast member and spoiler alert, she dies, but that's not super important. That's very obvious uh-huh. of okay. it being a murder mystery. And it's truly just like a fun comedy. We're going to have five endings soon. So it changes every night. 
the play has now been given an open-ended run. So we've been running for almost a year in June. Mm-hmm. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's been going really well. I can see that, you know, it plays either primarily in Brooklyn or only in Brooklyn. Are you taking this show on the road? Do folk <laughs> on the other side of the country have a chance to see it or do we have to fly to Brooklyn? I think for right now, it's staying in Brooklyn, but I think our producers are in talks of like other theater companies. I think there's one in, actually, I don't even, I don't know if I'm going to talk about this, but there's talks, I think, of it going on the road at some point. But Super, yes, primarily I based out of Brooklyn. Definitely want to keep an eye on when it moves out of Brooklyn. That's very exciting, Chinook. Now, switching gear just a little bit, from what I understand, when you were in college, back to college, college, not grad school, you mm-hmm. were the captain of your Quidditch team. Now, first, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, but I didn't know that you could actually play Quidditch. Anyone could, because yeah. please tell me the magic that you have done being a comedian and an actor and all these wonderful things. You, have you actually gotten to fly on broomsticks? Like, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was in college, it was called Quidditch. Now they call it, I think, Tribal. Quad ball, quad ball. It's called quad ball. Hmm. Uh, okay. But you don't fly on brooms. That'd be so cool. And I think it'd be a much more like widely popular sport if you could. But you have a bunch of people on brooms. There's seven players on each side. And you have to run on the broom like between your legs hmm. the entire time. So you'll like be running around. And if the broom comes out between your legs, mm-hmm. you have to go back to your hoops, touch them before you can start playing again. But it runs very similar, like similar in the rules of there are three chasers, two beaters, one keeper, and one seeker per each team. The chasers chase like a quaffle to throw it through the hoops. And the quaffle in Quidditch was this slightly deflated volleyball. Beaters wouldn't have like actual like sticks to like beat people with. They would have dodgeballs. And if you got hit with a dodgeball, you had to get off your broom, go back to your hoops and touch them before you start playing again. And then the seekers would chase not like an actual snitch, but like usually a cross-country runner or a wrestler wearing all yellow. And there was like a Velcro sock attached to like the back of his shorts that you would have to try and pull off. And if you pulled it off, that would be catching the snitch. And instead of 150 points, you would get 30 points and the game would end. Um, Hmm. That is a lot of technical detail. And I can understand why you get into that detail. Obviously, you were in charge. You were the captain. But here is my question. Were you not a popular captain? Were you not liked? (laughs) Your assistant captain didn't like you. Uh, Or at least that's what I am guessing. Tell me more. I was a good captain. That's not just me being biased because I'm me. I remember like after my senior year, my team like retired my jersey and my number. And I think my philosophy for Quidditch was very much like this isn't a sport that's going to anybody's like no one's going to graduate and join a professional Quidditch team and make millions of dollars. Like people are mm-hmm. here for other things. I want to win, obviously, but I also want people to have a good time and this to be like a welcoming environment for people to like come, make some friends, enjoy like your college experience, things like that. And huh. my assistant captain, I think, didn't dislike me, but I think he disagreed with my philosophy. I think he very much wanted to win when at all costs, was very much like much more cutthroat as like taking it a little more seriously than. I did. He really wanted this team to be a serious like force. And we were good. We weren't a bad team. I think Mm -hmm. the year I was head captain, my junior year, we beat the second best team in the country. 
Texas State. Uh, and that was a crazy, crazy good game. But he essentially that year, like I knew our relationship had been kind of dwindling because I had made some choices that were like, oh, it's like we went to Boston for a tournament and it was like a huge blizzard. So I was like, we're not going to risk people's lives trying to go to the tournament in a blizzard. Let's just not go and hang out at this hotel that we were at. And he was very up much against that and like went by himself to the tournament and was pissed at me for making that call. And so I think that's when he started to be like, okay, let me try and force this guy out and like talk to some other people who are like, yeah, Schnook doesn't have the right mentality for this team. And so I saw like the writing on the wall of, okay, he doesn't want me to be captain. That's fine. And so like, I think that year there's a thing called the World Cup. Uh, it's like the big tournament that every school in the country kind of like comes to if you qualify for. Uh, right. And we qualified. We went. That's where we beat Texas State. And I remember at the tournament, like our first game, I announced, yeah, this is going to be my last time playing for this team. After this, I'm, I'm done. Because I at the time, I was also like, I got to think about grad school and applications and like my life after college. So that's fine if I don't do this. And kids were upset about it. But whatever. We did it. We played well. I'm proud of what we did. And then Andrew, oof, I said, that's oh, whatever. He be Andrew became the captain the next year. I was fine. I wasn't like upset by it. And then I remember the next year, by the end of like October, Andrew had quit the team and then joined a rival team because they were better. And so I came back to like save the team from like falling apart and not qualifying for that year's World Cup. But uh, he jumped ship once it got hard. Shoot, shoot. Yeah, that must have been difficult for you. I mean, would you have changed anything about that whole experience? Could you have? Oh, wow. I think my only regret is like, I think I held a huge grudge against Andrew for a long time. And I feel bad about that because at the end of the day, it's Quidditch. Like, it yep. doesn't mean anything. It was a fun time I had with a bunch of my, like, all my close friends came from that experience. Andrew and I used to be close. And I wish that maybe I didn't hold that grudge as much. But at the end of the day, honestly, I think I did everything right. I made no mistakes mm. aside from maybe holding a grudge about a sport that truly does not matter to me anymore mm -hmm. in life. So just trying to think in terms of your parents, you mentioned them before, that had they known, of course, you were talking about later in your comedy career, that you'd be standing on stage and telling jokes, they would have said, well, we're just not leaving Sri Lanka. Let's just stay here. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. So they come here, their progeny is playing Quidditch, and they're thinking, hmm, <laughs> is this even a real sport? But hey, he's just a kid, probably, you know, and fast track to where we are now. What is in their heads? I have to ask you, what do they feel now? That is such a good, yeah. I think now... They see me and how busy I am. And like, I am very lucky in terms of, I think, South Asian immigrant parents, despite all the jokes about them, they are very supportive of me. Mm -hmm. And my dad is like, he sees how busy I am. He sees my, my schedule of like going to do this show, going to like auditions and play and the play and everything. I think he's finally like, like seeing how busy I am and being like, hey, I'm really proud of you. I see how hard you work and I know it's a lot, but. All I wanted was you to work hard at something and you're doing it. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Like that, that is something that makes me happy to know that I didn't come here for nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I think now seeing the fruits of the labor and like seeing the results is like helpful for them. Yep. But I think maybe like three, four years ago, they were like, okay, it's just like a cute little hobby while he like does his other things and stuff. And now they're (laughs) like, okay, he's actually serious about this. I love it. I love it. I'm sure they're very proud of you. So tell us quickly before we wrap up about the 20-sided podcast and the character you play, Yakshara. Yeah. The 20-sided podcast is a Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. So folks are familiar with like Dimension 20 or Critical Role, Rude Tales of Magic. It's more similar to like Dimension 20, I'd say, of like it's run by this really great sound designer and host, Brian Flaherty. And he's created this show that is non-contiguous of like, you don't need to listen to season one to listen to, to understand season two and so on and so forth. And Yaksha Ra is a silly little character that I got to play in voice. He is a dragonborn, which is just like a dragon human thing. And he's a former pirate. And he has to, in this season that, that I'm currently portraying him in, he has to escape from this ominous void called the static It is a harrowing, funny, comedic little adventure that I get to partake in. And now the podcast has kind of evolved into becoming something called My First Dungeon, which is Mm -hmm. a bunch of just one-off actual play games that game creators like uh, Grant Hewitt, Stephen Dewey, the guy that made 10 Candles, will come on, explain how to play a game, and then we'll play their game on the podcast for them. And it's very fun. It's very interesting. If you're into like tabletop role-playing games if you're into like board games if you're into Mm -hmm. comedy it's a very fun podcast network that has been created oh that's great that's great to hear i'm definitely going to check it out and i'm seeing this thread of board games and comedy and shows in the work that you do which i think is fantastic tell us chinook where we can find you online social media handles website anything you want to tell us yeah, sure. You can find me on Instagram at Chinook, S-H-E-N-U-Q-U-E, or on TikTok at fake Chinook because at Chinook was taken by oh, someone. Goodness. Uh, or my website, ChinookToSarah.com. In line with things like faking your graduation and you know, whatever else. <laughs> There's a thread. There's an absolute thread in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Chinook, thank you so much for joining us on the True Fiction Project. I cannot wait to hear the story that comes out of this. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And that was our guest, Chinook Tessera, on the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Faking the Grade, a short story written by Michael Kobzik. I don't go to Dirkin Donuts to get avocado toast. That'd be like going to Denny's and asking for filet mignon. The small audience at the laugh store laughed at Yasir's joke as he stood on stage. His five minutes at the open mic night were almost up. 
There were maybe 20 people sitting around and having drinks. If he was lucky, maybe one or two people would remember his name in the morning. Yasiru looked down at the floor. He imagined all of his idols standing here decades ago. Gerald Steinman stood here. He spent all of his teenage years watching every episode of Steinman. But Yasiru didn't feel worthy of the stage. In the last 30 seconds of his set, Yasiru's hand trembled, blasting microphone feedback into the room. Sorry. All right. My time's almost up. Thanks, everyone, for coming out to see me. And for all the blind people here, thanks for listening. Give it up for Yasiru Giruge. The audience politely clapped as he exited the stage, disappearing into the darkness of the bar. He joined his friend Gio at the bar. Judging by the glasses nearby, he was already two bourbons in. Do good? Weren't you watching? Sorry. Matched with this cute girl down the street and the rest of the world kind of went away? Thanks a lot. I thought I did a little better this time. You're gonna get there. Soon you'll be the next Steinman. I'm no Steinman. Doesn't he still come by here sometimes? Who knows, you might get discovered. He'll discover I have no talent. All those workshops, all those classes, hours and hours of practice, and I can barely get any bookings. Not like I have any time anymore. Oh right, you're still doing the doctor thing. You're going to be a doctor in, like, discography? Geography. Yasiru ran his palms over his face. I'm at the very end of my program, but I don't even want to graduate, man. Why not? You'll be the first comedian doctor? A doctorian? Well, that's not a thing. It should be. At least it's a little more dignified than what I've been doing. And that is... I'm playing Mercutio at this Shakespeare in the Park thing next month. I gotta dress up all funky and read all these lines I don't even understand. Geo, Geo, wherefore art thou, Geo? The two friends laughed together before settling back into commiseration. Yasiru turned his phone on and started to flip through his gallery. He saw a group shot of him, Geo, and a bunch of their friends doing improv a couple of months ago. Of course, he got picked to be the doctor of the bit. The audience told him to test Geo's reflexes and he kicked him in the balls. He couldn't feel anything below the crotch for a week. He flipped to another photo. It was a picture of him, his mother, and his father in front of the Statue of Liberty. They came all the way from Sri Lanka just for their kids. And here I am, slumming it up in a bar somewhere on Fifth Avenue. We're both going to make it. Fake it till you make it. Yasiru's eyes widened. Fake it. Dude, I have an idea. Yasiru always wanted to make people laugh. He was always the kid in the middle of the classroom who had to be the center of attention. And he loved the attention. But Yasiru's parents would rather he had his head down and his pen on the exam page. As an adult, the only thing he was signing was his dropout notice. I'm here by dropping out of my program. Yasiru's notice was written in plain script on a yellow pad of paper. Thank you for your time. He dropped the piece of paper in his advisor's mailbox and closed the door to the department for good. He stepped outside of the sciences building of NYU, the crisp New York air ruffling his brown hair. The gray sky was featureless, save for the gleaming buildings of the nearby metropolis. He tilted his head towards the empty sky. It felt like Yasiru's entire life was before him, extending into oblivion. Yasiru's phone rumbles. It's Geo, his voice marked by distortion from the bad signal. Hey, where are you? I, I had to take care of something. Get over here. We're almost ready for the show. These robes are really itchy. I thought you said you could get the good costumes. Shut up. It was last minute. Now you know what you're going to say? Yeah. Even though his mouth didn't match what was in his head? I'll be right over. Is everything ready? Yeah. You should see how many people are here. Yasiru stopped walking towards the train station. How many people? Gio turned the camera around and Yasiru's heart dropped clear through his chest. His whole phone screen was full of people. Young, old, moms, dads, kids. There were hundreds, maybe a thousand people. And they were all waiting for what was to come. They're all waiting for you, dude. I'll stall them. Now get over here. 
Yasuru ended the call and dashed down the steps of the subway. After the longest 15 minutes of his life, Yasiru finally arrived to Central Park, right on time for the ceremony to begin. The crowd had multiplied. They were listening to the dulcet sounds of the New York Amateur Light Orchestra, performing live in front of the stage. Gio had bribed the conductor with free pizza and champagne. You could tell the curly-haired conductor had pepperoni and fizzing bubbles dancing in his head as he waved his baton. It was the perfect distraction for Yasiru's entrance. He dashed around the crowd, trying to find an entrance to the stage. He found a door cordoned off with police tape, and a soul guard standing in front with his arms folded. Excuse me, I'm part of the ceremony. I need to get in. The guard looked down at him, frowning. You look like you're lost. Aren't you supposed to be good with maps? Yasiru's mouth opened wide, and the guard took off his hat and sunglasses to reveal his best friend Gio's smiling face. Dude, what the heck? Yasiru's surprise mixed with his despair. You wanted a cop? You got a clown. Now let's get you on stage. Yasiru hurriedly changed into his graduation cap and gown as the crowd applauded the last song from the light orchestra. Thank you, thank you, and now we are proud to welcome the pride of NYU Doctor of Geography, Yasiru Girug. Yasiru couldn't move. He was feet away from the podium, hidden from the crowd. He felt like he would walk out there and immediately get devoured by the sheer mass of people. Yasiru felt a push from Gio, nearly sending him to the lacquered wood floor. As he steadied himself against the fake podium, Gio gave him a thumbs up. Yasuru accepted the fake diploma from the young woman who shook his hand. Yasuru smiled, turning his head towards the crowd as they applauded. Maybe he would see his parents. Not only did he see his parents, but he saw him. Yasiru did a double take as he saw the man himself. Gerald Steinman. It was as if he had leaped off of the television screen and into the crowd, standing right next to his parents at the edge of the crowd. With sweat running down his forehead, he wrenched himself away from his idol's gaze and towards the crowd at large. As the applause died down, Yasiru stood in front of the largest audience he'd seen in his life. The crowd of people went all the way down to the end of the block. More than half of these people weren't even invited. They just happened to show up and wanted to see the spectacle. It was a miracle, and it was Yasiru's worst nightmare. Uh, um, thank, thank you for coming here to see me. I mean, coming here to... All right, I'm lost. Good thing I'm a geography doctor now, huh? The joke gets some laughs reverberating across the crowd. If anyone puts this on TikTok, make sure you spell my last name right, okay? Don't put A at the end. I already have a lot of people who call me gay. This joke gets more laughs and a stray cackle from an older lady. Right. I want to thank my best friend, Gio. Without him, none of this would be possible. I want to thank his credit cards, too. Just like me, I bet they're at their limit now. The laughs grow. Yasiru looked back at Steinman, standing next to Yasiru's mother and father. His parents looked bemused, but Steinman was just happy to be there. Yasiru looked back at the crowd and clenched his fists. Don't break the bit. He adjusted his microphone, sending a blast of feedback into the crowd. Sorry, sorry. Yasiru closed his eyes. He thought for a second that if he willed it, all of this would be over and he could be back home, where he was a loser, but a safe loser. And most of all, I want to thank my parents. I don't want to point them out since they'd probably kill me if I did. His mother covered her face, but Yasiru could still see her smile. If I had to say one thing, there's not enough words for my parents. They were always so supportive, no matter what stage I stood on. Thank you. The crowd erupts into applause. That was so awesome, dude. Gio popped the cork on a fresh bottle of champagne, dosing him and Yasiru in it immediately. That was amazing. His heart was pounding. Did you see how many phones were out? We're going to go viral. We'll see. Yasiru looked back at the crowd, now dispersing. He looked for Steinman again, but he was nowhere to be found. 
Yasiru's phone rumbles again. Hello, Dad? Congratulations, Yasiru. Or should I say Dr. Yasiru? Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.